Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. We have a list on our website, warrockandajax.com, called Every Story Ever. What we're doing is we're taking lists from our listeners of three comic book stories, and then we are placing those stories on the list from best to worst comic book stories of all time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the War Rocket Ajax Every Story Ever Special for December 2022. 
we are in that between Christmas and New Year's period where it's still kind of Christmas. Right, Chris? I mean, it, yes, Matt. It For us, it is, it is only the, what, fifth day of Christmas today? That's true. That is true. I, I mean, technically, the 12 days of Christmas last a bit into January. Yeah. Until so, uh, until January sixth, the uh, the epiphany, also the anniversary of when I started my blog in two thousand five, which and, led directly to this moment, and a day that has no other significance. Uh, no, I think L. Collins's Christmas present is going to arrive that day based on an email that I got yesterday. <laughs> no other significance at all. My name is Matt Wilson, Chris Sims. You've heard speaking. And what we do on this show, if somehow this is your first time listening to this, is we rank comic book stories. Or comic stories. Because we rank comic strips sometimes, too. We've opened the door perhaps too far. Yeah, we maybe, like, since now that you've said that, we maybe should have just made it comic book stories. Back at the beginning. Then, But then we'd be like, what's a book? You know? That's true. I mean... We are at the point now where people are really testing the limits of this project, like, eight years into doing it. (laughs) Yeah, like, it used to be that people would would shoot for the top, and then it became clear that, that I think one thing that you and I both have in common is we do not enjoy changing our minds. It's, well, I I don't know if that's so true of me, but I... Definitely true of me. Absolutely true of me. I do often stick to my guns when I think I'm right. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I know I'm right. But if I can be convinced that I'm not, I will admit it. But, that you know, often, yes, I will stick to my guns. I, do, I think what you're getting at, Chris, is our number one is probably not going to change. Yeah, like, number one is, like, pretty solid. You know, we, we've gotten some, some good comics that have gone up pretty high on the list but like that number one is pretty solid our our bottom comic has never changed we've had a lot of people shooting for that one trying to dethrone it with some very good candidates yeah Uh, i mean the next to the last comic really tried really tried to hit that bottom spot i mean i would say pretty much everything in the bottom like 10 or 15 like there's a comic on there like there's comics on there that we just like did not like it's like yeah we don't want to talk about this <laughs> yeah uh there's comics on there that like l- like we enjoyed kind of tearing apart but there's some where we were just like no this sucks yeah that's true uh, the, the the bottom part of the list is pretty pretty solid as well uh it, just in case anyone's curious our bottom comic that has been the bottom comic since the very beginning is 2006's identity crisis by Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales. Mm-hmm. And our number one comic that is probably never going to change is uh, Spider-Man If This Be My Destiny slash The Final Chapter, which runs from Amazing Spider-Man numbers 31 to 33, and it's by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Yeah. I can imagine... I can imagine a scenario where the bottom comic changes more easily than the top one. Probably. I cannot foresee a comic overtaking that top spot, ever. 
No, but, like because because that comic has been good since 1966. Yeah. So we're going up on some years of that one, on some decades. Uh, yeah. But like that bottom comic, I I feel like if there was recency bias, then I think we we are moving. You know, obviously, the nature of linear time, we have moved further away from it. It still sucks pretty fucking bad. Yeah, it's time has kept those. There, there's no recency bias on either of those. Is what you're saying, and you're right. It's I, I do not foresee those changing unless an absolute miracle happens. So now, what people are do are doing is trying to. It's if they can't shoot for the top or the bottom. They're saying, well, is this a story? Does this go on your list? Yeah, now they've gotten conceptual. Yeah. Which is challenging. I had uh, a friend of mine text me not too long ago about uh, like an article. And the headline of this article was, uh, 11,000-year-old carving of man holding his penis surrounded by leopards is oldest known depiction of a narrative scene. And he asked me, has anyone sent this in for every story ever yet? It's, and been, I, it's been discussed on the Discord. I'll say that much. Yeah, all, all I texted him back was, oh no. Because <laughs> it's, it's challenging, Matt. It's, it's very challenging. I am not Scott McCloud. I did not sign up for this. Yeah. Also, it does do not send it in. It does not count. It is a sculpture and not a drawing of, with panels. Thus, it is not a comic. Okay? It has to be a comic. Not every picture can be a comic. Okay? It's not a picture. It's a sculpture. That would be like saying... Michelangelo's David was a comic. It's not. It's not. Like, I did have to have a moment where I thought about it, but it's not. It's a stunning piece of art. In in person, stunning, Chris. Can I can I ask you a, a question? Can I sidebar with you for a moment, Matt? Uh, all right, yes, please. Is Do you think David by Michelangelo? Mm-hmm. Michelangelo. Right. Uh, my favorite Ninja Turtle. Is better than Amazing Spider-Man 33. Like, if you could only save one of them, what would it be? I think, since it is such a personal choice, I think I Michelangelo could go. But it would be tough. It would be a tough choice. Um, Matt, I fully agree with everything you just said, except for the fact that it's a tough choice. <laughs> All right, let's get into rankings, Chris. Allow me to say this now. I got a bit mixed up this year. Because, look, I'll take you into my process of how I choose the lists to rank on these specials every month. I dig into my email. I search for the line stepper password and every story ever. And I find what I think was the most recent list that we did on the show, but I'm not always sure. (laughs) And then I start on the next list in the email. Clearly, at some point this year, I got ahead and I skipped some sent in from like spring, early summer. So if you did not 
hear your list read out and you're a line stepper and you send it in for about that time, that's why. And I think I figured out the reason why. Because there was a list in there with a story we had already ranked. And I was like, oh, we did that one. And so I probably skipped some. I apologize for that. I do not have the most scientific system for doing this. <laughs> and perhaps I should change that to where it is a little more uh, regimented. Um, but I, I don't have a lot of time, folks. I'm These take two hours to record, and then I have to edit them. <laughs> and digging through my email and making sure of certain things is not top on my priority list, but I will try to make it more of a priority to make sure that every list sent in by line steppers gets read out. That said, I don't want to read two lists by the same line stepper in a single episode. I've made this clear in the past. So if you send a bunch of lists at the same time, not all of those are going to get ranked. They're just not. Space them out. Wait at least like a month between sending your lists. Okay, folks? Don't send three lists within a week of each other because they're all going to be bunched together in my email and I'm not going to do all of those on a single episode. Okay? Are we clear? Are we good? Thank you. Chris, here's a list from Joel Valentine called The Many Deaths and Loves of Spider-Man. The Many Deaths and Loves? Yes. I think... The deaths of his loves. Are yeah, that saying. is what tends to happen. This is not Spider-Man dying. Did you get any Spider-Man related gifts for Christmas, Matt? I don't think so. You did. I did. We'll talk about that on regular Ajax show probably, but yeah, very yeah. impressive. Very impressive. I gave a Spider-Man related gift. Oh, what Spider-Man related gift did you give? I, I, some... Like yours, I got some Spider-Man Legos and gave them to my nephew. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How, how old's your nephew? He is seven. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the Night Gwen Stacy Died, Amazing Spider-Man number 121 to 122. How do we not have that on the list? Good is question. Is that not on the list? It's not. How is that not on the list? It's not. We've been doing this for so many years. I, I know, and we never ranked the night when Stacey died. So here's our chance. I mean, listen, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, but this might be a controversial thing to say. But I think it's more important than it is good. Most important comics are. Yeah. Like, We've discussed this multiple times over the years. Most important comics are way more important than they are good. Like, if you hear if you hear about this comic and its reputation, if you see all the movies where it's referenced, because it is referenced in so many movies. I think it's referenced in at least two of the Sam Raimi movies, right? It is referenced, I believe, in every Spider-Man movie. Well, he he swings down and catches Mary Jane in the first movie. Yeah, Green Goblin throws Mary Jane off a bridge in the first one, yeah. and then he, and then and then the best scene in any superhero movie happens. <laughs> you, uh, what is it? 
This you is New York. You mess with one of us, you messing with all of us. That's right. If you don't like that shit, like, look, I know it's a very post nine eleven uh thing, but like, if you don't like that, you don't like superhero stories. I believe it is also referenced in Spider Man three. Because Gwen Stacy is in that movie. Right. Then it's in one of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. It's in, yeah, it's in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. And then it's in uh, the newest Spider-Man movie, the uh, No Way Home. Yeah, which is a great moment in that movie. That's a, that's a Garfield moment, not a Toby moment. Yeah, no, because... Uh, Toby never like like never had someone die like that. Yeah, but Andrew Garfield did. Andrew Garfield did. Yeah. And so he gets to fix it. Yeah, that's right. Which is like it's a really I don't know what uh public opinion was on No Way Home. Uh but No Way Home's good actually. I've heard people talk about not liking it and not been in a setting where I could be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Did they not like it when the Green Goblin put on his comic book clothes and then did a fucking spine buster? Did they not like it when Spider-Man got his real clothes at the end? Yeah. If you think that MCU Spider-Man, Tom Holland Spider-Man, isn't comics-y enough, that movie fixed it. Yeah. That movie, that movie made him more comics-y, and then also made... Norman Osborn from the Sam Raimi movie is more comics, eh? Alright, we gotta get off this topic because we'll talk about it for the whole yep. rest of the two hours. Um, I will say I will say this, Matt. Yeah. Most important comics are more important than they are good. Yeah. And Amazing Spider-Man 121 is is good. I, I'm not saying that it's not good. I just think if the point I was making is if you see all the different ways that it, this is referenced, if you hear about how important it is and how pivotal it is and how much it changed superhero comics, which it did. Because character deaths like this were not common in superhero comics before this. I can't think of one that was big, like big before this. Yeah. Like certainly not at, at in DC, uh, and and definitely not in Marvel either. You're gonna read this comic, this story, and go, "That's it." That's gonna be a bit of your reaction because you have the context of the 50 years of superhero comics that have come after. Yeah, you know what I mean. That said, it is still pretty good, even with that. Yeah, I would say. Much in the same way that if you go back and read the Galactus trilogy, Fantastic Four, 48, 49, and 50, The Coming of Galactus, like, it reads very simply, but it also, you're like, oh, right, this is an event comic. This is what event, like, this became event comics. Uh, in that same way, like you read this and you're like, oh right, this is a major character death comic. Yeah, and like characters had died in comics before this, and characters had died in Amazing Spider-Man. Like this didn't happen that long after Captain George Stacy died. Yeah, but not not like you know what you know what who is the 
only character that I can think of that is like close to this prior to this moment. Cause like, yes, Bucky, uh, Bucky is, is one, but we don't actually, you know, we get Bucky's death in a flashback. We get Bucky's yeah. death 20 years after the fact. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's fucking lightning lad. Oh yeah. <laughs> cause, cause lightning lad dies in the like late in early sixties. Uh, and is dead for like a really long time. He's kind of the first died and come back character. I think he's the first died and come back with a robot arm character too, actually. Yeah. I mean, uncle Ben died, but he was there to die. Yeah. That was his purpose as a character. Yeah. And, and, and George Stacy is not Gwen Stacy. George Stacy is a supporting character. Gwen is a main character. You know, she's she's a supporting character, obviously, but she's a supporting character in the way that Lois is a supporting character, you know? Yeah, she was the... In the way that Alfred... Well, shit, Alfred had also died. She was the maiden love interest. Yeah. Which I don't think that specific type of character had died in comics before. Yeah. I did forget Alfred had died, but I think that was... I mean, Alfred's death is so weird. Yeah, and and you know he comes back. Gwen doesn't come back either, right? She every attempt to bring Gwen back has been a fake out. Yes, and they shouldn't even do that. No, they shouldn't. Um, There was some divisiveness, divisive thought about that, like Gwen coming back for one moment thing in the Zeb Wells Spider Man, which you and I really liked. Yeah. Some people did not like that. I think that is the best example of a Gwen coming back moment. But that said, I think that exemplifies probably the worst thing about this story, which is that Gwen is just... Gwen has no agency. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, characteristic of comics this time period. The but, worst thing about the story is that in the it it sets the dangerous precedent. You know, it sets the bad precedent. It's you know, it is the uh, love interest dies to make the hero feel bad uh, thing. I think there's. I, I think it's handled better than that. Uh, you know, this is. I mean, it's Jerry Conway, John Romita. Uh, I do think it's important to note that like Stan dipped. Like, Stan Lee, who was on Spider-Man for, like, a really long time, like, was like, uh, I'm out. Uh, Jerry, you go ahead and write Gwen dying. Uh, you, you can take the heat on that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, like, I, I think it's, it's legacy is bad because... It's legacy is bad because people took the wrong lessons from it, but also I I feel like th- there weren't any really right lessons they could have taken from it. They just tried to recreate this again. Like there's no right lesson like there is with Watchmen. Watchmen has a a clear right lesson. Yeah. It's just think about them for a minute. Just think about these stories for a minute and treat them like stories you're thinking about for a minute. Well, I think this is a story that is in some ways very specific to Spider-Man. Like, it's not just that Spider-Man feels bad about it. It's that he he is perhaps responsible for it 
there's that little snap. There's, there's, there's that little sound effect. Oh, when he tries to catch her, right? Yeah. And also, he's going to feel guilty about it in a way most other characters wouldn't take on that guilt. It's it's something very specific to Peter Parker. But when so th- this applies to all a bunch of other characters, male superheroes and th- that's how you get fridging. You yeah. know? This is like the first example of fridging. But without <laughs> being able to explain it any other way, many further examples are bad and this one is just trying to do a specific thing for a specific character. And then it gets copied over and over again, and that's unfortunate. But I, I, I think that's an important point, and I think like the it works for Spider Man because Spider Man is the hero who loses. Like that's an important th- like this story doesn't work for Superman. No, and they've tried. It doesn't work for no, Green Lantern, who was the f- fridging character you know i think there's a reason we call it fridging and not bridging you know good point good point yeah i mean you'd have to ask gail about that but uh but yeah like peter is the hero who loses and so he loses you know and this is kind of the biggest loss he can have and and notably he's still guilty about gwen now 50 years later yeah Whereas so many other characters who have been fridged are forgotten. Yeah. Um, It's uh, also, I I do think this is a like one twenty one specifically, because we're talking about like the whole arc of like one twenty one, one twenty two, right? Yeah. Yeah. One twenty two where he goes and beats up uh, and does not kill the green goblin. Uh, But green goblin uh dies anyway which how why does green why does was does green goblin die in the, that movie when he gets stabbed like in the pelvic like in the hips it's a deep stab it got him in the kidneys it's pre- it's low though <laughs> it's go back and watch that movie it's so like that's the one part of that movie that i watch today and i'm like that doesn't work that's whack maybe he bled out he didn't get medical attention he's dead immediately because if he mad if he bled out then then toby mcguire peter parker has a lot to answer for on that's that true. yeah but yeah, yeah like uh that issue is also really good like you know N- norman osborne opting to not or, or to to try and kill Peter anyway, uh, and ending up getting himself, which is also like, you know, that's an aspect of the story we don't really talk about is like, that is Peter's best friend's dad. And, and it's Peter's best friends. Who's currently in the hospital after a bad acid trip. That's his dad. And then there's that amazing Mary Jane moment at the end of it. Oh yeah. Like where Peter's such a fucking dick to MJ. Because he's hurting so bad? Oh, yeah. that's just good. Yeah, it's all good character stuff. It yeah. it, it created stuff that isn't... Uh, some of its legacy in comics perhaps isn't as 
good as it should be or could be, but the the story itself is is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But like specifically the structure of 121 with the question on the cover. Uh and I love the I love the group of characters on the cover. Uh where it's like, you know, someone close to me is about to die. And it's Gwen, MJ, Aunt May. And then it's Norman, Harry, Jonah, which is hilarious. Uh, Robbie. And Robbie's son. And Flash Thompson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's like, of those characters, Gwen is the last one you would expect. Um, but that, and then, I don't know if this is the first example of it. It can't be. It can't be, because we're in the 70s at this point. But putting the title on the last page, because the title is The Night Gwen Stacy Died, that's a great little trick. And I don't think Conway gets enough credit for that. The The structure of these two issues is really good. It's really well done. The, I don't know, sort of the dramatic way everything is is laid out is smart. It's it's not just, oh, here's a shock. Oh, here's another shock. It's shock then fallout in both issues. The shock of Gwen Stacy's death and then the shock of Norman's death. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's rank it. I mean, it's it's good, Matt. Like, for all of its its legacy problems, it's good. Well, I don't think it's Amazing Fantasy number fifteen good. I that, do. That story's at one hundred and one. That's I like think, a perfect origin story. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It is. That's true. I think it could go in. The 100s, possibly. But I don't think it's going to go in the top 100. Uh, the next Spider-Man story we have on the list is at 182, which is Craven's Last Hunt. Which is it's, shockingly high. It's that good. For being a good, like, Craven's Last Hunt, good as hell. I don't know if it's the 182nd best comic ever printed, actually, yeah. even though that is where we put it. It's actually very similar. It's more than weirdly comparable. It's just comparable. Yeah. Because it is also a story that is good and a really good story for the characters in it, but that maybe provided some wrong lessons of, oh, we got to make villains dark now. Yeah. They got to be dark and have internal psychological conflict. And, you can miss me with that. A lot of that. Yeah. But that story is good. You know? Yeah. So. I mean, I I think... Yeah, it's probably... Like, I think it's probably better. Is it better than... The Glory Boat? At 170? Damn, Glory Boat pretty good. That's tough. That's tough. That is tough, Matt. Yeah. How did Superman versus Muhammad Ali get so high on this list? Uh, it's good. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, we're the ones who put it there. 
It's fine. I I think that's another one we ranked for importance in some ways. But it's also pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good that, that Muhammad Ali wins. Yeah. If... <sighs> okay, here's, here's where I'm at. Is the night Gwen Stacy died better than the Super Mario Adventures comics that ran in Nintendo Power? How about we put it just below? All right. That would still right. put it above the secret reveal from Superman Volume 2, number 2. Which is good. Which is really good. Yeah. Man, if they ever find John Byrne in the Bermuda Triangle, we, we should tell him how good that story is. Uh, yeah. I. I don't know that they're if they're looking for him anymore, though. I mean, I wouldn't be. Yeah, it's been or a long time. So, new number 161? Is that where we're going? Yes. All right, Amazing Spider-Man numbers, 121 to 122. The night Gwen Stacy died goes to the new number 161. All right. Next on the list from Joel is Spider-Man versus Wolverine. That's got to be on the list. Uh, let me check. I it's, know we've talked about that extensively. Um, I'll tell you, not as good as you want it to be. Not as good as you want it to be, but still pretty good. Very good for the time. Definitely, like, more, like, you want to talk about, uh... Craven's Last Hunt being the the learn the wrong lessons from this. Yeah. Buddy, that's it. Because this story is good, but like there should be a little line on it that's like, if you are not as good as Christopher Priest, do not attempt this. Yeah, that's true. Th- this is great creative team. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Because it's Priest, like you said, and Mark Bright. Da God, Mark Bright. Yeah, and uh, and that's, that's a that's a Mark Bright who drew the Snake Eyes trilogy. Mm-hmm. That's Mark Bright who drew that issue of Batman where he throws a car battery at a guy. Yeah, Da God. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's not on the list. I just checked. It's it is not. Uh, it's. It's better than it you think it would be, and also not as good as you want it to be. It's it is both of those things at the same time. Yeah, I would like that. That is that is exactly it. Like as as weird as that sounds, and as contradictory as that sounds. Yep, correct. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much weird stuff in this. There's so much like, like it, like you forget about the hobgoblin stuff that's in here. The Ned Leeds stuff. Yeah, the Spider-Man fans finds Ned Leeds with his throat slit. Yeah, Ned, Ned Leeds uh, is dead in Berlin. In this, yeah. Uh, I, I also love it when. Like when th- uh, this is the the Wolverine and Peter Parker stuff, I guess. 
it's just it's really good. It's a really good interplay between these two characters who do not fundamentally work the same way. You know? They are very different people. And this is the foundation of their relationship. Like, every interaction that they have had in the past, like, like since this, has been informed by this story. Which I think is really interesting. Like, it is a key piece of, of Marvel continuity in that way. Yeah. I'll tell you the best thing about this story. And that is that it's an inversion of the typical superhero superheroes fight and then they team up. Because this is a Wolverine and Spider-Man team up and then they fight. Yeah. Because they team up to take on a bunch of spies, like KGB people. It's a spy story, which is not, I've said before, not the Spider-Man story I really tend to prefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's their team up, is they fight these spies in Germany, these KGB USSR spies. And they're both in Germany for different reasons. Spider-Man's there because of the Hobgoblin stuff. Wolverine is there because of his buddy Charlie. His old war buddy Charlie. Charlie. And uh, like, there's this whole thing where Charlie is like gone nuts and started killing a bunch of people. And uh, is now uh, like posing as Wolverine's ex. Is that right? Charlie, I'm a little. No, Charlie is the Charlie is a woman. That's Charlie's what it is. a woman. Yes, he's Wolverine. Someone that Wolverine loves, but basically, Charlie is in trouble. They have found her. They're going to torture her to death. Because she's been killing all these people. Yeah. Um, for, I think, if I remember right, good reasons. But Wolverine yeah, had like, this. They're all, like, she's going after, like, KGB guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is the mid-80s, so, you know, that's the worst kind of guys. Yeah. But Wolverine has to try to stop her. And he's going to kill her to do it. He, and she wants to die rather than be tortured to death. Because she knows that it's only a matter of time before they catch up with her. So yeah. Wolverine, to spare her, is going to kill her. A mercy killing. A mercy killing, yeah. Which is right in character for Wolverine. Very in character for Wolverine. Absolutely out of character for Spider-Man. Who's like, who I think just shows up to the scene late and just sees Wolverine about Pop to kill pause her. and get ready to kill her. Yep. And Wolverine is, or Spider-Man is like, Cannot comprehend why he would do that. And it's just like, oh, this guy's gone nuts. Yeah. He's, what he tells him is, no chance, man. And that's why they fight. Yeah. Which is, which is, I think, a good... Like, it is a good conflict for those two to have. Because it is, like, one character is, like, a you know, a quick and honorable death is is the best outcome of this scenario and the other character is like I cannot let anyone die ever. No one no one ever is allowed to die for any reason. 
I'll tell you the thing that I like the least about the story, and that is the way Charlie ends up dying is Spider-Man turns around and punches, thinking he's punching at Wolverine. And and that he has to, because Wolverine has an adamantium skull, that he has to hit him basically as hard as he can. Yes. And instead, he hits Charlie. It's Charlie that he's punching, not Wolverine. And he's the one who ultimately kills her. Yeah. And it's it's what we've said. Spider-Man is the superhero that loses. And this is an example of that. But I making him accidentally kill someone, I don't like. It's it's it it is a fundamental change to the character. Yeah. Like which weird what's weird is that like Spider-Man who is wild strong like Spider-Man who can when he needs to lift a subway station uh-huh. turns around and just hammers a haymaker home and then uh Charlie has a page long uh death scene which is like well, well old buddy we we look like this is the end of the road <laughs> like instead of just being an immediate red mist <laughs> yeah uh but like Charlie's pretty tough. Charlie's pretty tough. It changes it changes Peter. And I like the way that it's portrayed in this and I love the way that like that panel of Peter turning around and punching Charlie is like repeated cuz it's always popping into Peter's head. It's on like every page for the rest of that the issue, just like in the yeah. middle of the page in the middle of a thing. It'll just be that panel. And I think that's like an incredibly well done uh visual like comics way of depicting that kind of trauma persistent memory yeah yeah and i think it's i think it's a good like I, if it's going to happen to anyone i think a a char- like spider-man is the character that this should happen with and the the story does go out of its way to be like no 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 this is not peter doing this this is charlie arranging the situation in a way that, like, it's it's her jumping in front of, it's her making it happen less than it's, uh, more than it's Peter's mistake. Like, it's very, like, Priest tries to kind of, like, spare Peter in our view from being like, you know, Peter fucking killed somebody. It's like, no, this is a master manipulator, spy, murderer, who knew exactly what she was doing. But it's like... You can't tell Peter that. No, absolutely not. And because not. you can't tell Peter that, you kind of can't tell us that either. And much like the the last story we were talking about, where it's like shock and then fallout, with this you get the shock and much less of the fallout. Like, really all you get is Peter coming back to Mary Jane and them hugging yeah and it's you don't get as much of the emotional like aside from the persistent memories that he's having you don't get as much of the emotional fallout for peter which you would think this would be something very very emotional for him yeah it ends up being like a thing where peter 
doesn't want to talk about it, which I think is is reasonable. Uh, I also think it's it's interesting that like Mary Jane welcomes him back, and the thing she says is like, "Oh, welcome back to your world." And I like that line being drawn, that distinction between what Spider Man does and what Wolverine does. And how they're two very different things. Like, even though on the surface, like, they run in the same circles, they're both nominally superheroes. But I think this did a lot to set Wolverine apart as a character. Like, Wolverine's not like other superheroes because of stuff like this. Because he lives in a world where it's like, yeah, sometimes I gotta kill somebody with my claws who I like a lot because otherwise they're going to be tortured to death. Yeah, I really like like the scene where Spider-Man's like, superheroes do not kill. And then, super, and then Wolverine goes, I do. Yeah. It's like, because that, that, that is a, that, that is a, like, you, you say that, Matt. Black but, Adam on VOD now. AC watched it the other day, and I came out. Matt, you know I love my wife. You know I'm a wife guy. I do know that, yes. I love her to, to bits and pieces. She's my favorite person. She's my best friend. Uh Sorry for you to find out this way, but it's her. I, I, I do. It's fine. You're my best friend to whom I'm not married. Yeah, it's look, it's fine. I, we, I totally accept it. You and I are in a committed long-term partnership, uh-huh. but it's more of a business arrangement. <laughs> um, it, is, it is also a legal partnership, but... Uh, it is their paperwork. To- yeah. We would have to go through a lot if we wanted to end it. <laughs> uh div- divide up the ip divide up the chambers ip oh man we, we each get a bat <laughs> <laughs> oh excellent 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 um i came out uh I-, I was up here cleaning my office while she was watching like you know folding laundry watching blackout on the other day i came down and uh i was like how was it and she was like I had a part of this movie where I said out loud, that's not how the helmet of fate works. <laughs> and she has told people that and been like, yeah, not, not Chris, not Sims, not my husband, me. And I'm like, oh, never, never loved you more than when you're correcting this shitty movie about its portrayal of Hawkman and Dr. Fate. I can't think about anything but those ads where Dwayne Johnson is like, Black Adam is a very important character to me. You're the only one, man. I'm sorry. You and Jeff. It's just you two. I'm tell- I've said it before. DC Comics, you c- the-, the moment they went wrong is when they decided Black Adam was a better character than Captain Marvel. Yeah. He went out of his way to not be in the Shazam movie. Buddy, I don't know. Anyway... I went to go see Black Panther the other day, and they had a poster for Shazam 2. Mm-hmm. And, like, like that's coming out soon. Yeah. And I'm kind of mystified by it. I don't know. And I didn't hate that movie, you know? It's not the movie we wanted it to be, I don't think. No, there's no fucking talking tiger in it. But it's fine. It's It's perfectly fine. Black Adam's just a huge piece of shit. I haven't even seen it, and I know it. So, I don't know. Anyway, let's rank... What I was saying, what I was saying, what I was saying. 
That doesn't work in that, right? Because that's a movie where Superman fucking killed a guy. Like, that's a universe where Superman and Batman yeah. murder people constantly. Yeah, both of what... Both takes of superheroes do not kill people. That's not true. And I do. That doesn't make you cool. You think that saying that makes it cool. Makes you cool. It doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> but, like... It it doesn't work because like it like it is demonstrably untrue in that universe, right? Right. But this is like I mean, this is contemporary with like Captain America having a fucking crisis and having to not be Captain America for for a year because you he, know he accidentally killed that ultimatum guy. Yeah, yeah. And and you know having to like be like uh, the. Iron Man went off and led a strike force to kill a giant green head in a jar on an alien planet during a war, and I don't think he should be an Avenger anymore. So, like, Wolverine... This is the, this is this the is, time period where that is the debate. The kind of debate in comics, right? Yeah. Mid to late 80s, where it's like, should superheroes kill? And there's some relevance and newness to it. We are now yeah. almost 40 years later. <laughs> You're now almost 40 years later, and, like, no. I I have not gone back and watched Wonder Woman 84 a second time, and mm-hmm. I know that, like, I think I was the only person I know who liked it. I think you're right. <laughs> but I thought it was the, like, arguably the best DC movie, because Max Lord and Cheetah live at the end of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'll give, I'll give it that more than anything else, is like, that yeah, is- the superhero didn't kill the bad guys that is one of the better things about that movie for sure uh the rest of it i don't know but yeah that that is at least good that they are not killed at the end of yeah. the movie but like at this point it's a debate and there's a line drawn spider-man and wolverine are not the same and i don't think you you can get that debate now right no no. Not when they are not when they're they are both superhero squad figures, you know? Not that they weren't both toys at the time, but you know what I mean. I do, yeah. Well now they're just two different Wolverines, right? I mean there's only when Spider Man has phone claws. Yeah. There's the Wolverine who is in comics and movies who kills people all the time. And then there's the Wolverine who's on TV cartoons for children who uses his claws to slice kielbasas or whatever. You know what's funny is that Wolverine, weirdly enough, has done the opposite of what like people want Superman and Batman to do. Right? Like Wolverine has like like look, he's, he still has knives for hands and fucking kills people. But also like he kind of a dad now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a whole movie about how he was a dad. Yeah, there was a whole movie about violent. how he was a dad, which was very violent. But like, yeah. like nobody, nobody wants Batman to have Robin because they don't fucking understand Batman. But like, Wolverine's out here with like, you know, collecting wayward youths. I don't know. I like That's Wolverine. Been a part of Wolverine for a long time, though. Yeah, but it's been like, but it starts like it starts with Kitty. Right? And so, it, like, when it's just Kitty, it's just Kitty. When it's Kitty, Jubilee, Armor, uh, Laura. Rogue? He, he did it with Rogue, too. Rogue in the movie. The school. 
when Wolverine was in charge of the school. Yeah. Like it's a it's his thing now. And like I and I kind of love that like that has evolved to like this and it's this guy, right? This guy who's like, yeah, I had to go uh to Germany and kill my friend so she wouldn't die in a KGB torture camp. Like that guy is also like I got to get this school open. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. You know, it's it's character progression. I like I fucking like Wolverine. Okay? What, what, what can I tell you? Unsurprisingly. All right. We got to rank this, Chris. Uh, we're almost an hour into this. It's still on the first list. There's two. These are two important comics, dude. I agree. I agree fully. Where do you think this goes? I'm, I'm going to say like in the 500, 600s probably. Uh, let's see. Number 500 is uh, Tomb of Dracula. His name is Blade. Come on. This is better than that. Okay. F- Let's see what's at 400. Flash Emergency Stop is at number 400. That's a pretty good story, actually. Um, I don't know. Like, I agree with you. This kind of, like, does a little bit of damage to Spider-Man. It, it it changes things, and maybe not in the best way. It was part of a time period of the darkening of Spider-Man. Yeah. And I I understand that that kind of had to happen, but it's not my favorite. You know what I mean? How do you think this compares to Demon in a Bottle? That's at 433. Similar. Similar. I think Demon in a Bottle is probably better. I... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I don't think it's as good as the good one in Simonson Manhunter, and it's probably not as good as Black Panther Panther's Rage. But I think it's... Look, in all honesty... In all honesty, it's probably better than The Man from Transylvania. All right, we could put it at the new number 440 then. So, Spider-Man versus Wolverine goes to the new number 440. Not to be confused with Wolverine versus Spider-Man. A different series. A different comic. And again, do not attempt to write this if you are not as good at writing comics as Christopher Priest. Uh, finally on the list from Joel is three comics that Joel has grouped together into one story. Okay. Mary Jane, 2004, numbers one through four. Mary Jane Homecoming, numbers one through four. And Uh Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, numbers one through 20. So these are the Sean McKeever, Takeshi Miyazawa, Mary Jane-focused comics from the mid-2000s. First comic I ever wrote a letter to. One of the best comics of the time period. Yeah. Legitimately the best attempt that Marvel Comics made to kind of, like, reach into the, like... To do romance manga? (laughs) Romance manga, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, that's pretty, like... And it's good. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's really good. Sean McKee, I remember, like it had to have been like 2011 or 12, when I was writing for Comics Alliance and I was doing the uh, the column I did where I would come up with a question and I would ask different people in the universe of comics, either creators or retailers or other comics journalists or whoever the same question. And then I would just, you know, 
make the column their answers to that question. And I think the first one I did was actually like, should comics be funnier? Or is it hard to do humor in comics? It was something to that effect. And one of the first person that people I thought of was Sean McKeever. Because I really liked Sean McKeever's comics, and I thought they were lighthearted and, and often very funny. And I got a reply back from Sean McKeever that was basically just like, oh, I don't do comics anymore. <laughs> and I was heartbroken. Yeah. Like, I mean, that makes sense because I haven't, like, seen a lot of new Sean McKeever stuff lately. I, but, think like, he, I think he came back pretty recently and has done some stuff. But there was, like, a long period where Sean McKeever was just not doing comics anymore um, in the, like, 2010s. And it bummed me out. Like, I, I remember being, like, sad <laughs> to get that email because – Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane was great. Sentinel is a book that people slept on. Mm -hmm. And it's fucking good. It's one of those books that, like, everyone who read it was like, this is great. Yeah. But, like, very few people read it. Yeah. Uh, That that was a Marvel Tsunami book, right? It was, yeah. That one, Runaways, that Human Torch book. Yeah. There, there were a handful. Uh, he did like Gravity. Was I fucking it is love Gravity? Great character. Gravity was supposed to fucking be something. Yeah, <laughs> Gravity. Gravity was supposed to be Kamala Khan, which is wild yeah, to think about. But think about it, and you know it's true. Gravity was supposed to be the new Spider Man because every decade has a new Spider Man. Yeah, and Gravity was supposed to be. Th- the one for, I guess, the 2000s, right? Yeah. Un- unfortunately, uh, the Spider-Man for the 2000s was Spider-Man. Yeah. With Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, the, uh, yeah, I remember getting that email from Sean McKeever and being just, like, so heartbroken because this book and everything else I had read by Sean McKeever was great. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely a, a like one of the best people they had, like that whole, that whole crop of people doing all ages books at Marvel at the time, which were like Paul Tobin, Jeff Parker, Sean McKeever, like they were all excellent. Uh, who did that, uh, that nomad miniseries with Ricky Barnes? Is that McKeever? Uh, I'll look it up. I don't think that was a McKeever thing, but uh, I'll 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 look it up and let you know. Uh, like that series was also extremely good. Uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that was Sean McKeever. That was oh, Sean okay. McKeever and David Baldion who did that book. Okay, uh, it was not listed on the list of select bibliography that I was looking at. So yeah, again, cause nobody read it. Yeah. I read it. Cause I'm like, I want to know what happened to Ricky Barnes, the Bucky from the, the heroes reborn universe. Oh yeah. I, I read it too. It was good. It was, it was good. good as well. Yeah. Anyway, Sean, Sean McKeever. Good. I think Sean McKeever did also write Marvel Megamorphs, which was the book about the, the toy tie in comic where they all got transformers. Uh, also extremely good. That's not this book, though. This book is just like, it's it's 
a love story between Spider-Man and Mary Jane, but told from Mary Jane's perspective, uh, and is extremely good. Yeah, it it goes back to them in high school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and it's great. got like a lot of really good love triangle stuff. Like Firestar is in it uh, as as sort of like you know Spider Man's love interest compared as opposed to Peter's. Uh, like a lot of good stuff. A lot of really really good stuff. Uh, there's a there's a there's a Luke Cage joke in here. Uh huh. <laughs> What what I really ended up like by the time it got to Sp- Spider Man loves Mary Jane by the time it got to the ongoing series, which lasted twenty issues, it was doing the thing that early Spider Man did, but for Mary Jane, where she had to pick between all these possible love interests, and that's good. Like, it's a good book. It's a good book. Chris, I think you you wrote a letter to this book. You wrote about it extensively on Comics Alliance. I think wrote, you wrote should... about it a lot on uh, on the ISB as well. Yeah, I was I was a a, a big supporter of this book. Uh, I don't uh, think my letter ever got published. Uh, but it was uh, the first time I ever wrote a letter to a comic. It was this one, and I think I've only written two. Uh. But yeah, I would say, I, I mean, again, it's real good. And it's also like, it's good in a way that like, I kind of want to go down to the bottom of the list. All right. Follow me on this journey, Matt. All right. There's a part of me, and I don't think this would be accurate, but there's a part of me that wants to go down to the bottom of the list and count up until we get to trouble and then go back to the top of the list and count down the same number of spaces <laughs> and put Spider-Man was Mary Jane there because they are, they are the, they are opposing forces. I think you're right. Trouble is very low. The trouble is extremely low. It's, uh, let's see, 1409, it's 13 spots from the bottom, 13 spots, which like, look, do I think Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane is better than uh, uh, Jack Staff Everything Used to Be Black and White? Well, <laughs> I personally do. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think it's better than, than that one. But, like, we'd have a hard time ranking it higher than The Hunger Dogs or Spider-Man No More or Ultra Comics. But uh, I think I was looking at very similar what? book. Where it's like if you if you like okay. this, you will like that. Okay. Uh, Gotham Academy, which is where it's in the five hundreds. Which again, top heavy list. Yeah. Uh, but Gotham Academy is at five twelve, and I feel like looking around there, like that's where we have Manhunter, Final Crisis, uh, Chase. And I feel like Manhunter and Chase very much in the same spiritual realm of why weren't you people reading this? Yeah, for sure. Like, Forgotten Gems. A lot of Forgotten Gems in that part of the list. Yeah. Uh, I would say, like, I would be happy putting uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane maybe... I do really like Gotham Academy. Maybe a little bit below. Probably, maybe, like, right below. 
above Chase at the new number 513. Yeah. All right. So we're just going to, I'm just going to put Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane in that spot on the list. But we can include, I think we're okay to include the two miniseries in that too. Yeah. So Mary Jane 1 through 4 and Mary Jane Homecoming 1 through 4. I'll I'll put that in parentheses that it includes that. Okay. So that's the new number 513. Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which I, is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. 
Chris, our next list comes I to us. I think we've got time for one more comic. I think we can do one more today. <laughs> uh, well, it depends, right? We'll, we'll see what happens. Our next list comes from David LaRoss. And I think this is one of the lists that got me a little bit mixed up because it does have a story we've already ranked on it, which is Astro City Confession. That's a good one. That is a good one. I'm not blaming David for submitting something we'd already ranked, but I think I might have seen that on the list and said, oh, we've done this one. So sorry about that. Uh, but here's one we haven't done. That's number 227 on the list, by the way. Uh, it is uh, slightly better than OMAC Volume 1 by Jack Kirby and slightly worse than Brian K. Vaughn and Kyle Hotz's The Hood, which is an interesting take that we had at some point in the past. A story on this list that we have not ranked is Usagi Ojimbo number 93, Chanoyu, by Stan Sakai. Uh, listen... Gotta look it up to remember exactly which one that one is. It is the story but, in which Usagi and uh, Tomo, Tomoe share a formal tea ceremony. Oh, that's the tea ceremony one? Mm-hmm. Bye! <laughs> uh, yeah, um, here's, here's a little thing about that issue of Usagi Jimbo. It kicks ass! <laughs> uh, like, without even looking, I can tell you, it's good. Uh, but yeah, that issue owns, actually, uh, it's literally the entire issue is the tea ceremony. Yes, that that is it. I don't think there is a line of dot. No, okay, there are lines. There, there is some dialogue in there, but like the first, it's the first like half of the issue is silent, and then it's just like. Uh, some captions and dialogue describing the like the tea ceremony and like some very formalized pleasantries that yeah. are part of the ceremony between Usagi and Tomoe. Uh, and then the last page, after another like five silent pages, is Usagi turning around and saying goodbye, Tomoe, and leaving, uh, and not staying with. Uh, Tomoe, even though he could, because he must must wander as a ronin or masterless samurai. That's right. Yeah, this issue kicks ass. This like, like, this is the one we always talk about. This is the one where it's like, where it's like, yeah, like every issue of Asagi Jimbo is good, even when it's just an entire issue about the Japanese tea ceremony, like. This is it. Buddy, it it's it doesn't get any better than this. This was 2006. This was this was maybe the best comic of the year 2006. This was maybe the best single comic of the worst year of comics. And Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane was coming out in 2006. Yeah. Which we just talked like, about. In terms of like pure craft, this is as good as comic books get. This is Stan Sakai saying, hey, I'm going to make a whole comic out of the the character I created, who's a rabbit, drinking tea. And you're going to love it. Yeah. And I will do this with, with the precision and care of the tea ceremony itself. Yes. 
like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what else I can tell you. It's perfect. <laughs> I, here, here's what is great about it. Cause all the stuff with the tea ceremony is like so well done. So perfectly laid out and meticulously demonstrated. Right. And you, you understand more than anything, you understand what the tea ceremony means. Yeah. You know, because it's it's Tomoe trying to have like a sort of I don't know it, it's it's like she's trying to convince Usagi of the happiness that could come from a domestic life. It's 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 she's giving him the reason to stay. Yes. Like like it because there's there's so like that's the thing. Like, just as a depiction of the tea ceremony, it's really good. In the larger context of Usagi and Jimbo, Matt, I'm about to stand up and fucking take my shirt off <laughs> about this comic. But, like, in the in the context of the story, this is Tomoe being like, you, Miyamoto Usagi, are someone who lives his life by these rules, by this duty, by this formality, to the point where you still wear the mon of your clan, even though your clan was wiped out way back in 1986. Uh, but, like, I am also a person who lives by these rules. I have an understanding of this. Like, we are in the same world, and it could be our world together. And it is the like it is the relationship between these two characters. There's a scene in here where like uh, before he goes in uh, to to the tea ceremony, where he puts his swords down outside. That there's a close up of his hand, like setting his swords, which are Young Willow and Willow Branch. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you like listener. I don't know if you know the names of Sagi Jimbo's swords off the top of your head, but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me want to fucking like burn down a target. It's like <laughs> I'm losing my fucking mind over how good this comic is. Here's what I think is like the really great punctuation mark on it though. So Tomoe again, like you said, gives Usagi the reason to stay, right? The reason why he and she could have a domestic life together as two people who share so many commonalities. It's not like she's from a different world from him, you know? But then when he's like, I have to leave and he leaves her there. And there's that great panel of her looking up like, yeah, he left. He walks out. He opens the gate, and he walks right into an issue of Usagi Yojimbo. Yeah. Right into the town full of people where he has all his adventures. Like, it is exactly the setting of so many other Usagi stories. And through just these wordless panels, it's he will continue to be to do that 
this this comic book will continue. <laughs> yeah. Like, this could be the last issue of Asagi Ojimbo. Yeah, it really could. Like, this this could be... Like, it shouldn't have been, obviously, because there have been, like, 100 issues since, and guess what? They're all fucking good. And, but, and, like, the, point, and the point of it is, he has to keep going on adventures because the comic is going to keep going. Yeah. But... but yeah, it could also be the end. You're right. It's like, like you would know if this was the last issue. Like, oh, he continued to wander the earth and have adventures. Uh, but like, yeah, um, this is one of the best comic books ever printed, and that's real. Yeah, you, you like, ain't kidding. It, they they don't make a lot of them fucking better than this one. I would like. I have two important questions. You finish your yeah. thought, and then I'm going to ask you two important questions. Uh, I am looking at this, and I'm like, I wonder if Stan Sky still has any pages from this. Mm, yeah, because that 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 panel where he's walking through the town, and then the last panel just has like the very sketchy, uh, like Usagi, like walking out of the town to continue on his adventures. I would buy that. I would. If there's an amount of money I have to spend on art, I would spend it on that page. Like yeah. there, like the only thing that would stop me is if I just don't have that much money, which is entirely possible. <laughs> if anybody out there knows Stan Sakai, hit him up, holler at your boy. Any pages from Usagi Jimbo Dark Horse uh, number ninety three, uh, hit me up. I will. I will buy one. I will buy any page from this issue. I'm Googling Stan Sakai original art. There's a section of his website where he sells original artwork. But I don't think they're pages. I think they're like 9x12s. Just like pieces of art. Shit, I don't have one. I don't have any Stan Sakai originals. They're, okay. They're not cheap. But they're maybe not as much as you might think. I'll send you the link when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you said you had two questions for me, bud. Yeah. Here are my two questions. Is this better than grass cutter? Yes. That's question number one. Question number two. Is this better than pancakes? That's a great question. This story. Like we've described pancakes as being perfect before. Yeah. This, This story makes me think of pancakes though. Because of the simplicity? Because of the simplicity, because of the sort of like domestic setting and making that be like placing that as a contrast to the character's life in every other story. And and kind of the the importance of I'm sure there is a word for this in a language that is not English, but like the importance of the the comforting things of the world, like the normal things of the world. Yeah, not that the tea ceremony is normal. Obviously, the tea ceremony is a big deal, and like a it's, like it's a special occasion. Yeah, it's a special occasion. It's a it's very formal. It's a big deal, but it is about sitting and having a cup of tea in a particular way with a particular like in a house a person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the way that like pancakes are a very P- pancakes are the ultimate comfort food. You know. Yeah, I mean, pancakes can be ritualistic in their own way. I mean, 
my mom used to make pancakes every Saturday morning, and that was the thing we ate on Saturday morning. I would sit in front of the TV and watch my cartoons, watch my Captain N or whatever, and eat pancakes. And that was every Saturday morning, and it was the thing we did. And it's not the same as a formal tea ceremony, but it is. it can have that meaning. Uh, I apologize if this is offensive uh, to anyone, but hopefully if you know me, you know the the feeling behind it. Next time I come to the South, Matt, I want to go to the Waffle House and basically do the tea ceremony. We can do that. But with a waffle. Yeah. Yeah. Marlene is not from the South and has no connection to Waffle House aside from the times we've gone since she's lived in the South. And still every once in a while, she'll say, I think I got to go to Waffle House. (laughs) You do once in your blood. I assume that she does the Wawa ceremony. Oh, that's a daily ceremony when she's around a Wawa. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this issue like pancakes is so good. And it's it's such a good comparison point to this because it's both like one man shows, right? Like I think Pancakes was colored by Dave Johnson, but it is Mike Mignola writing and drawing. Yeah. Uh and this is obviously it's just Stan Sakai. This is a black and white issue, so it's not uh there's no color so there's no colorist. It's just Stan Sakai writing, drawing, lettering. Oh, that beautiful Stan Sakai lettering. Oh one of the best to ever do it, man. Uh, yeah, dude, this comic owns, this is like, this is one of the all time great comics. Like, and you can't, it's so weird because if you gave it to someone who knew our tastes, who didn't have the context of reading comics, I don't like I feel like it would be easy to read this book and be like, oh, I mean, that's that's it. Sure. Yeah. Like nobody rides the glory boat in this. Nobody lifts up a heavy thing. No, there's, in, there's no action to speak of. Even in the context of Usagi Ojimbo, nobody gets fucked up. Yeah. Nobody says, oh, he's just a mangy Ronin. We can take him. Which is my favorite thing that happens. And then they get their like, shit wrecked. They get their fucking shit wrecked. It's but the this- best. This story happens in the context of all those other stories where people get their shit wrecked. Yep. This is the this is the counterpoint to that. And Usagi being offered the counterpoint to that. And rejecting it might be too harsh of a way of putting it. But Usagi makes the decision that that cannot be his life. Yeah. He he could have stayed. Like, they could have left together. And they're both sad about it. Usagi and Tomoe are both sad about it. It's not that Usagi makes the decision and then he feels good. You know? He has to sort of, in a resigned way, say, goodbye, Tomoe. And that's the last line of dialogue in the issue. I, like, looking at this comic... Like you get, like that panel where he's putting his swords down. I just want to like 
just I want to stand up and just spike a football. <laughs> like this comic makes me lose my fucking mind in the way that like like if you saw that video of like the streets of uh Buenos Aires uh after the uh, uh Argentina won the World Cup like that's what's happening in my mind when when I read this comic, like just you know, the absolute silence, and then all of the doors bursting open. When when Tomoe when when Usagi says your tea has just the right amount of bitterness, it reminds me of the winds blowing through the autumn grass, and she says the bitterness of life to match its sweetness. That's my brain <laughs> is just going ape shit. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like pancakes, fucking good, but like I feel like this is. I I have one argument in favor of pancakes. Okay. And that is that pancakes gets across not the same message, but I think a very similar and effective message in less space. Because one thing we talked about with pancakes many times is the economy of storytelling in it. Yes, but the space here is the point. Because right. like the tea ceremony itself, the like this the space is there to breathe. And like it could not be a more effective like pancakes could not be a more effective or efficient use of its pages. This could not be a more effective or efficient use of 24 pages. I think you're right. Like it is it, like there is you know what did I say? It's the first like 10 pages of this issue, completely silent. They couldn't like, there's no wasted space. Like every, like every bit of this, like the formalism and the use of the spaces is part of the point. The fact that I'm arguing right now makes me feel like it's better than pancakes. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I don't know if it goes above Thor into the Valley of Death. Another comic that makes you want to stand up and take your shirt off? Yeah. Like, th- I mean, that comic... <sighs> Boy, there's some good comics at the top of this list. Yeah. I think this is the new number 12. I, I think, it is, think you're right. I think it's poetic to put it right, right alongside Pancakes. Because I think those stories go together. Yeah. Man. Man. I, I, okay, okay. Is it better than Gotham Central as a whole? No. Okay. Gotham Central has some of my favorite moments in com- in all of comics okay. across the board. I just wanted to just wanted to ask, make sure that we didn't want to crack this into the top ten. It's it's number twelve, but I, something getting to number twelve is huge. Huge. Yeah. I I feel like. I feel like you could make an argument for this at any point of the top 15. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. But I feel that way about all of these comics, you know? I think 12 is the right spot for it, but man, this, it's good. This is the comic that learned the right lesson from Watchmen. <laughs> all right. The final 
story on David's list is Nova Volume 4, numbers 19 through 25, by Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, and various artists, in which the Xandar World Mine recruits a new Nova Corps behind Richard's back. I feel like I definitely read that. I don't remember anything about it. I have not read it. So, I cannot rank it. I there's a long period where I was just not reading Marvel uh cosmic space comics. I just wasn't doing it. And I, mean, I think like, this was during good. Some of that stuff was really good, yeah. But was this before or after Annihilation? Uh, Nova, the I, ongoing was post-Annihilation. It was like concurrent, sort of concurrent with. I think but it I, launched out of. Yeah, I didn't read it. But uh, I don't know, that sounds pretty good. It does sound I, pretty good. We've got a couple of catch-ups that I think are locked in for the start of 2023, but maybe this could be a future catch up. Who who can say? So we do have some backups here, Chris from David. The first is Batman adventures. Number three, Joker's late night lunacy by Kelly Puckett, Ty Templeton, Rick Burchett, Rick Taylor, and Tim Harkins. That is one of my all time favorite comic books. Yeah, it's good. That is one of the, like that is my pick for the best Joker story of all time. Wow. Wow. It's extremely good. It's extremely good. Uh, the only the only Joker story I know is better in my view is probably uh the one in Gotham Central. But <laughs> Yeah, Soft Target's pretty good. Yeah. Like but when I like when I have talked about my favorite Joker stories, those are the two that I talk about. Yeah. Uh because like it's honestly it's not killing joke. It's not Death in the Family. Those are, again, those are important comics. And for certain values of good, those are good comics. Um, though, please see uh, our extended discussion of uh, The Killing Joke for more thoughts on importance v. good. Uh, but, like, Soft Targets and Joker's Late Night Lunacy are, like, my favorite Joker stories of all time. Um, this, like, there is a, uh, an arc that runs through the first three issues of Batman Adventures, uh, even though they're all standalone stories that, uh, is about like kind of Joker arranging for stuff to happen. Uh, and then, and keep in mind, this is 1992. This, this comic launched with the, with the animated series. Uh, so this is, you know, cover dated for December. So it's probably, you know, October, November of 1992. Um, there's a bit in this where Joker on TV has Jim Gordon tied to a chair and takes a baseball bat and breaks both his arms and talks about how uh, uh, there's no law and order in Gotham City. There's only chaos. 1992. Like, that's not really what the Joker was about at the time. But it's what the Joker was about after that. Yeah. Uh, this is all the like, stuff they wanted to do on the TV show and couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... 
Gotham Adventures, or sorry, the Batman Adventures, when it launched specifically, but it, it became something a little different as it went. It became more of like a TV cartoon tie-in. But when it launched, it was like, because we've heard all the stories about how, you know, Paul Dini and and the rest of the writers on Batman the Animated Series wanted to do all these things and were headed off at every turn by Fox standards and practices who were like DSP, baby. Yeah. Who were like, no guns, no blood, no this, that, and the other. No guns, no choking, no yeah. sex, obviously. No, the, Bruce Tim did a drawing that had all of them. Yes, it's the famous Bruce Tim drawing has everything yeah. that Fox told them they couldn't do, and which they the, put um, obviously they pushed back on a lot of it, and they got their way on a lot of it. You know, there's no there's no hard drug use on B There are guns in the show. <laughs> there are guns. There's uh, guns in the opening. Yes, um, but the comic did some of the things that they couldn't do. In the show, and I feel like this is the PG thirteen version of Christmas with the Joker, the episode from the show. Yeah, because a lot of the story beats are the same. Like, yeah, Joker kidnaps Gordon. He's on TV takes, talking takes over about the TV. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of the same story beats as Christmas with the Joker, but the. There are the the differences are great, specifically the big switcheroo, which is Batman comes after the Joker. Batman says, or uh, Joker says, Batman, darling, and shoots him with a bunch of uh, darts, knockout darts, and is like, I'm going to unmask Batman on TV. And then turns out Batman and Harvey Dent have switched places. Mm-hmm. So when Batman gets unmasked, it's Harvey Dent, and Batman is in disguise as Harvey, uh, and it's great. It's it's a great like Batman trick, very reminiscent of other tricks he would do on the animated series. You know, I love a good Batman trick. Yeah, yeah. Um, um this is this story owns this story is great. Uh. Again, I, like I don't know what else I got to tell you. It's twenty pages, you know. It's it's, it's twenty two pages. Go read it. It's one of the best Joker stories of all time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. It's uh, it's by the way, it's Kelly Puckett, Ty Templeton, and Rick Burchett, all of whom are like all timers. Oh yeah, three of the best. Yeah, Kelly Puckett, one of the best Batman writers to ever live, which no one knows. Because primarily uh, he wrote uh, the cartoon tie-in, which were always good, and uh, the uh, Cassandra Cain Batgirl series. But like, one of the best Batman writers to ever do it. You ain't kidding. Yeah. Let's Uh, find a spot for it. We have uh, my other favorite Batman adventure story. Uh, which is uh, the last Riddler story on here pretty high. And that comic is also perfect. That's at number 28, and I do think this is better. 
Yeah. See, this is what I want. <laughs> not trying to get us to decide what is a comic. Just send us some good shit with, with staples in it. All right. Is it better than whatever happened to the Boulder the Brave, which is just above that last Riddler story? Nah, man, because you know he doesn't walk out of hell. Okay. So this is the new number 28. Yeah. But I do love it. Uh, Batman Adventures number three. This story is called Joker's Late Night Night Lunacy. All right. That is the new number 28. Some real top shooters on this list from David. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, There's another backup from David, which is JLA Volume 1, number 16 through 17. Camelot slash Prometheus Unbound, in which Prometheus crashes the League's relaunch. Boy! (laughs) Boy! What? What? You know that's some good comics. That shit rules! (laughs) That's so many good comics! (laughs) Man, that Nova story must kick ass! It must. It must be great. Yeah, yeah it makes I mean, me want to read it. If 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 that's like the company you're putting it in, Jeepers Christmas. Uh, yeah, man. Um, Prometheus is great. Uh, the this entire story is great. I will say there is it, okay. Is it a flaw in the story that Prometheus? is taken out when Catwoman whips his his balls. Just whips his nuts real hard. Just nut shots him. I, I mean look, I I could see that, that be that could be a a notch against it, but it's also kind of great. It is kind of great because like, you know, he prepared for the Justice League and then someone else just shows up and like just, you know, immediately Whip cracks his dick, and he is out. <laughs> like, that's pretty funny. Like, that's pretty good. Like, I don't think it's bad. It's not the best ending of the story. No, it's kind of an anticlimax, but it is yeah. a way to give Catwoman a a moment. Uh, and I I do think that's good. Yeah. Uh It's it's. I wish I wish this story had the real Superman in it, you know? Yeah. Like that's my that's the that's the worst thing about the first uh like year or so of the Morrison Porter Justice League is that like is the real Superman's not in it? Because it's nineteen ninety seven. And and so you remember how Superman was blue for a year? Yeah. I think well, you and I do, for sure. I don't know. I definitely do. I've read all those comics. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Prometheus beats up Batman in this story. The one, Prometheus beating up Batman is iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And sets up like the best moment. I have something like sometimes people will ask me like, Hey, what's your favorite, uh, like Batman moment of all time? And I'm like, well, I do like when he throws his car battery. Uh, I do like it when he kicks that dude through the wall in year one. 
I like that a lot. Um, but you know, I do really like it when he just fucks up Prometheus in World War Three. Uh, in like in a way that is very mean, like legitimately mean. Like I do love that shit, and this is the setup for that. All right, so here's the question: Is this yeah. better than World War Three? World War Three is about as good an opening as a book has ever had, so probably not. Okay, so that's at number two thirty-four. JLA Hitman is at two fifty-four. New World Order is at two eighty-five. Tell me when we're in the neighborhood. New, 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 new World Order. JLA Year One is at three twenty-one. It's probably around that good. Okay. What's our next JLA story after that? Earth Two, which is at three thirty-two. I think it's. I think it's better than Earth Two. All right. So, but maybe between Earth Two and Year One, which would be between three twenty-one and three thirty-two. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's the place for it. I would put this probably better than Invasion. Probably not as good as uh, the first volume of Kate Bishop Hawkeye. Uh, I would say we, we put it just above Invasion. Or, okay. or just uh, below Invasion. No, just well, above. Okay, so that would put it the new number 328. Yes. So this story is JLA Prometheus Unbound. We'll just call yeah. it Prometheus Unbound. you got to put in the New Year's Evil special in there, too, by the way. That's all part of the same story. That's the origin of Prometheus. All right, so 16 through 17... And New Year's Evil, New Year's Evil special. All right, that's the new number three twenty-eight, and that is it for the list from David LaRoss. Thank you for sending that list in, David. That's more like that. All right, Chris. Our next list comes to us from Nick, and these are three recent short Marvel series with MCU interest that Nick liked and hopes we have read. Nick, I'm going to tell you. Not looking great. Good luck with that, yeah. Is it a comic from 1998? Then yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, first is She-Hulk from 2014 by Charles Soule and Javier Polito. Read some of it, but not all of it. Did not read it. Bet it's good. What I read of it, I liked. Second is Hawkeye... 2016 by Kelly Thompson and uh, is it Leandro Romero? I believe so. Um, I think I read an issue or two of it and liked it. Very good. Did not finish. Yep. Love Kelly Thompson. Kelly Thompson, very well represented on the list. Uh, Unfortunately, that one, there's a reason we do comic catch up. (laughs) For recent comics specifically. Hey, do you want to talk about everything that happened in uh, in Flashpoint Beyond? We can, because we can, because that's that's my sickness. Third on Nick's list is Shang Chi Brothers and Sisters, the twenty twenty series by Jean Luen Yang and uh, I think Philip Tan and DK Ruan. Read about read some of it. Talked about some of it on the show. Talked to, read it. Loved the premise. Thought it was great. Love Gene Yang. Did not finish. Have dipped in and out of the Gene Yang Shang-Chi stuff since it's been going. 
Did not finish. Sorry, Nick. That's three for three. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Which ones of those should we do for comics catch-up? Let us know. Uh, there are a few backups here. Ultimate Adventures we have already ranked. It is very close to the bottom of the list. I will, in fact, tell you how close it is to the bottom of the list. Okay. Because that comic sucks. What is it? Ultimate Adventures. Oh, yeah, that comic's no good. It is at number 1,397, about 16 spots from the bottom. Yeah, that, that comic's rough. Now, you, here's you one... decide. Here's one that was you decided against it, and that I did read. Captain Marvel, written by Peter David. Which I think ran from two different series, starting in 1999. Yeah, it was... Um, I didn't read it, for I obvious did. reasons. You're not uh, a Peter David fan. Not a Peter David guy. And listen, again, there's no beef. There's, like, I... like. We've talked about this. People are always asking me, like, what's your beef with Peter David? I just don't like the comics. Peter David, uh, get well soon, uh, by the way. Uh, oh, is I he, know. is he, is he, he'll get well soon, Peter David. Again, I, nothing, nothing, nothing against him as a person. There was Captain, Captain Marvel Volume 4, which ran for 35 issues. And then... It won, you decide. And so, in 2002, Volume 5 went for a further 25 issues. Volume 5 was the you decide story. Because you decide, oh, okay. God, you decide, it, it's, this, it's, this sucks. This <laughs> sucks that I know this, and I'm going to know this forever. On my deathbed, I will know this. What you decide was. You Decide was an argument between fucking Joe Casada, Peter David, and what's that other guy? What's his name? Bill Jemis. Bill Jemis, yeah. Yeah. And so they were going to let the fans decide who could make a better comic. Bill Jemis, Joe Casada, who didn't actually do the comic. Nope. That, that was Ultimate Adventures. And. And. Yeah. Regardless of my feelings. Fairly accomplished comic book writer Peter David. Yeah, I mean, Peter David handily won. Yeah, it won on pre-orders. Like but, it, the the competition was you decided before it was over or before it had begun. But the thing is, Captain Marvel, this version of Captain Marvel, which I guess it was Volume Five, so the Volume Four had Volume Four had already been going for twenty five issues. And then Volume 5 started uh, the You Decide stuff. But whatever the case, the two other books in You Decide were two of the worst comics ever made. Yeah, Yes, legitimately no exaggeration, two of the worst comics. In fact, if someone were to rank uh, 1,413 comics, they would be at uh, 1,397 and 1,400 and 10, respectively. Yeah, they would be 4th worst and 16th worst. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Captain Marvel, meanwhile, is fine. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's the one about Genusville. It's the one about Genusville. It's got crisscross art, which is the best thing about it. Yeah. 
it's all about. I think Chris Roth did go look for John Byrne in the Bermuda Triangle. So. <laughs> it's he all about. Expedition. So volume four is all about Genus Vell and Rick Jones sharing a body. It's a Firestar situation. It's Fire Genus Vell and Rick Jones in a Firestar situation. Firestorm. I said Firestar twice. Yeah, Firestorm. It's okay. <laughs> Volume 5 of Captain Marvel is all about Genusville going mad because of his cosmic awareness. Yeah, sure is. And that's not good. <laughs> like morally? It's not morally good. It's also not a great story, but it's fine. Like, it's about Rick Jones trying to stop Genus Vell from becoming a crazed murderer. I feel like this is this was a trick. This was a trick to get us to talk about two bad comics that are already on the list. Possibly. Like, there's not a ton to say about those two volumes of Captain Marvel. They're perfectly fine. But they're also like I wouldn't go back and read them. Like no, you don't need to I. know about you don't need to know about Genus Bell. And how he started wearing his Cree uniform again for a while. Mm-hmm. Did he still keep that sticker on his butt that said Kiss Me I'm Cree? I don't think so. That was on the cover of number one in in the the, the volume four. Number one. I remember that. That must have been a variant. I mean, it was foil. Yeah, that must have been a variant. Uh, Because, oh, I remember the originally the this Captain Marvel series volume four launched out of Avengers Forever. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking of the previous volume of Captain Marvel. Oh, the "Kiss Me, I'm Cree" sticker. That's from the '90s, from the mid '90s. Hmm. Oh yes, I know. I remember the one you're talking about. Yeah. Was that also Peter David? No, that was that was Big Fabes. That was Fabian Nicieza. Nicieza. That was Fabian Nicieza and uh, Ed Bennis working on that working on that bad boy. Yeah, this this run of Captain Marvel also had like its comedic moments, but I, I think was a little more serious than uh, than that one when Genus Vell had his big ponytail. Mm. Uh, but yeah, this is perfectly perfectly acceptable comics. Compared to two of the worst comics of all time. I remember I bought this book. They got me to buy Captain Marvel. You decided. You decide. yeah. Matt, you decided. I was like, I can't let them get away with this. <laughs> no. No. It is wild. That they are two of the worst of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, it's, it's, it's not, like, they, they decided they were going to have a fight with, like, and it was a work, I'm sure. It was absolutely a work, right? It was, I'm sure it was a way to increase sales of Captain Marvel. Yeah. Because because Marvel ended up being the announcement of of Epic, 
So that was just going to happen regardless. So it's a work, but like they straight up. I don't think that was on purpose, though. I think the intent was for Marvel to go a little longer, but people didn't like it and weren't buying it. So. So then it became the epic announcement in what, the sixth issue? Yeah. I, that's seventh. just a guess. They did, they did a seventh issue. Okay. Of it to do the announcement of their new publishing strategy, which, woof. Uh, yeah, but like, that, that it's not even, there's not even like two good ones. There's like one that's okay. And then just two miserable comics. Two utterly miserable comics. Yeah. One, a lazy Batman parody that was all gay jokes 50 years after Seduction of the Innocent. And the other, a lazy Smallville parody. Yeah. Which was outlasted by Smallville by a factor of a decade. You know what Marvel was? Uh, now bad. that I think about it? I mean, bad, yeah. But you remember when WCW, when WCW was beating uh, WWF in the ratings? Yes, yes. Matt, it's exactly... Scheme Gene Billionaire <laughs> Ted. It is exactly that. I mean, his name was Cal AOL Turner. Oh, God, that's not even a good joke. It's not even a good joke. Nobody, like... No, because um, AOL um, Time Warner uh, owns uh, DC Comics. Yeah. Like, there was an AOL, so his name is Cal AOL Turner. The, the, for those that don't know, when during the 83 weeks that WCW was beating WWF in the ratings, circa 1997, 1998, WWF, under Vince McMahon, ran a series of skits in which all of the people who had left WWF and gone to WCW were portrayed as these like old doddering idiots. And there was also a parody of Ted Turner named Billionaire Ted. Or was he Millionaire Ted? He was he was Billionaire Ted. He was Billionaire Ted. Yeah. And they and also like there was there was uh the, I think it was the Huckster, right? The Huckster, Scheme Gene. Scheme Gene. The Nacho Man? Nacho Man, I think. Very first draft. The first thing you would think of to make fun of these people. And, you know, they tried to make them look bad and old and all of that. And they were terrible. Oh, and there was like, they made fun of like Jim Ross. Well, no, not Jim Ross. Because Jim Ross was in WWF by that time. They made fun of somebody's health problem. They made uh, they made fun of uh, uh, Ted Turner having depression. Oh, that's right, and taking lithium. God, 
God almighty. Yeah, that's bro, what, it was fucking whack. That's what Marvel was. That's exactly what Marvel was. You nailed it. Yeah. Like, as soon as you said WCW, I knew you were right. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. This Captain Marvel series is... Uh, I've fine. never read it, but you say it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I think it's, like, in the 1200s somewhere, probably. Is it hurt at all by its, its association with you deciding? I mean, if anything, it's probably helped, because it got me to read it. Just the letter U, by the way. Yeah, just the letter U. dash decide. That's exactly how it was formatted, yes. Yeah. Like... Eh... It's probably better than JLA number 90, where Wonder Woman decides not to date Batman. But it ain't as good as Batman The Long Halloween, so it's the new number 1207 on the list. Woof. It is a top-heavy list. So I'm just going to put Captain Marvel Volume 4 and 5. What was submitted to us was just Volume 4, but Volume 5 is part of it. Uh, so it's actually 1999 through, I think, 2004. Because all of that goes together. Yeah, through 2004. Matt, I'll tell you what we have decided. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what we decide. Yeah. Is that you decide made some mediocre to bad comics. Two of the worst comics ever made, and one mediocre comic, yeah. All right, the last comic on Nick's list is a funky Winker Bean strip. Oh. And why is it always these happen last? Like, why can't we be talking about the fucking tea ceremony now? That's that's the luck of the draw, I suppose. <sighs> I think we might not be able to rank this, though, because I think we have discovered that Funky Winker Bean is not all on online for free. And and as a moral issue, we refuse to pay for it. Oh, I will not pay for it. Yes. Yeah. It's all, um, all the archived comics on Comics Kingdom are behind a paywall. So, sorry. Bunky Winker being from August 12th, 2010. That's my birthday. <laughs> wow. What a what extra salt. Say what? Who sent this in? Uh, Nick. Nick? Yeah. Nick. That's my birthday, dog. Well, oh we no. Even... Oh no. Matt. What? I found the August 12th. 2010 strip because I wrote about it. Oh no. I It's called Snowbirds for Birds. This one's actually pretty funny. Um All right, hit me with like, a link. This one's actually pretty good. Yeah, I I just popped the date into old Google and my old uh Comics Alliance column came up. Okay. Uh let's look. Let's look at this. Oh, I've I remember this one. Okay, so 
who are these two characters, Chris? Uh, I believe this is this is. I, I think Funky is the one in the Snowbirds for Birds shirt. Both of them are. It, it, the one with the headband. I don't okay. know who the other guy is. All right, so it's Funky Winkerbean and another guy wearing t-shirts that say Snow, Snowbirds for Birds, where they're trying to like save birds who have been in an oil spill. Oh, no, that's, that's, it, that's not Funky. This is Tony... And just another guy down in Florida. There's been an oil spill, yeah. and they're trying to clean up the birds. Yeah. So the guy with the mustache is releasing a bird that they have cleaned. And then the bird turns right back around and flies right back into the oily water. Yeah, it shakily flies a few feet and then immediately drops back into the oil. Because all is futility, as we learned from the book of Ecclesiastes. Sploop. Is the sound effect. I mean, look. It is among the funnier Funky Winker Beans. It's. It's funny in the most bummer (laughs) kind of way. It's funny in the way that, like, if you go listen to the episode of Apocrypals about Ecclesiastes, I start laughing immediately when we start talking about how that book opens with everything is futile. Uh-huh. Like it's that ex- my wife told me the other day. Um and Matt, you know I love my wife. Uh you have uh, mentioned it in this very episode. So much. Love my life, best friend. Sorry you had to find out this way. Um <laughs> She told me the other day that one of the things that she genuinely loves about me is that I will find myself in a bad situation and my first instinct is to laugh. At how much it sucks. She's like, something that sucks will happen, and you will just start laughing at how much it sucks. And at the the time, what we were talking about was uh, that it was negative 28 degrees. Mm. And I just started laughing because that's not a real temperature things can be. That is a situation that sucks. I mean, at least your city's water system didn't explode. No. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that's also my reaction to this comic is like, this animal will probably die. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like the joke is funny, but if you think about it for even like a second, it's so such a huge bummer. (laughs) It is a depiction of absolute futility. And the likely death of this bird. Yeah. That's hard. That's a tough sell for anyone who's not combating. But the joke is that these two guys spent all this time cleaning this bird. Uh Uh-huh. And now all their time has been wasted. It's kind of like trying to make things better is pointless. (laughs) Right, yeah. Doing anything to help will do nothing. Yeah. It's a bummer, dude. It's I don't like, want to rank this one. Do we have to? I mean, I guess we do. I guess we probably do. I mean, it is part of a larger story. Like, that story ran throughout the month of August. Okay, I think that is our way to probably disqualify this. If this is part of a larger story arc that we can't read because it's behind a paywall. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, fortunately I did not... 
reproduce every single Funky Winker Bean strip from August of 2010 uh, in my column. So, like, there's no way for us to read the whole thing. Therefore, it cannot be ranked. Um, I'll tell you this, though. I read it at the time. Sucks. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole storyline about them going down to Florida to help with the oil spill, right? Yeah, the other storyline that happened uh, at the time was that uh, a guy uh, was having traumatic flashbacks to uh, the atrocities that he committed during the war. Oh, man. Like the current war. Okay, here's the the big problem with this strip, though. If we were going to rank this strip, which we're not. I hate to use the phrase, and I hate to bring it up, but Simpsons did it. Simpsons did this joke, and they did it better. Because there's that episode where Lisa and Marge go to try to clean up after an oil spill, but they don't get to clean any animals off because all the celebrities that showed up are doing that, so they have to clean rocks. That is a funnier joke to me. That is a funnier joke, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, thanks for ruining my day. (laughs) And unfortunately, I think that's where we have to stop. Yeah, couldn't go try and get on with my life now. Just think think back to Usagi and the tea ceremony. Oh, that's such a good fucking comic. Yeah. Hey... Remember Usagi in the tea ceremony? Man. Incredible. I I will say this was quite the eventful Every Story Ever special, because we got a new uh, number 12, and a new number... There's an... Uh, what? 10... Some, in the 100 somewhere. Yeah, well, some, some good stuff added to the list, and some bad stuff already added to the list that we talked about a lot. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what we added that was what else we added that was so high, high up, except for the Usagi story. The Usagi story kind of uh, dominates my thoughts. Oh, we good. put Batman Adventure Joker's Late Light Lunacy pretty high. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so some some good stuff got added for sure. And yeah, anytime you're feeling down, just think about that tea ceremony. It's good. If you would like to send us a list of stories that make us feel good, send us some stories that make us feel good. Well, I bet nobody could could hit the top of the list at this point. I, I bet nobody a, could do it. I dare anyone to try. Send us uh, every story ever list at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That email address is also where you can let us know if you want to sponsor the show or just drop us a line about anything else. Uh, You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at warrocketpod, on Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com, our Discord, which you have to be invited to, so ask us for an invitation, or you can... uh, Hit us up in other ways. Uh, those are the main ways, though. So hit us up if you want to get in touch with us in one of those ways. Uh, you can help us out and help us keep con- continuing to do 
these specials every month, and that they're two hours long, by going to patreon.com slash Ajax and kicking in as little as a dollar a month to make sure that we do these specials, the weekly War Rocket Ajax show, movie fighters and snack situation, comics catch up, all those things are made possible by your support on Patreon. WarRocketWiki.com is the place to find all kinds of information about the show. It's the fan-run repository of all things War Rocket Ajax. WarRocketAjax.com is our website, which has every episode of the show we've ever done. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at MattDWilson.net. It's where you can find links to my comics, my books, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find all of my stuff by going to the-isb.com. That has links to everything that I do. Thanks for listening, everybody. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! We will see you again in 2023. Come back for Comics Catch-Up. I think we're going to be doing... We said it was either going to be the New 52 Secret Six or Heroes Reborn. I think those will be January and February. All right, let's do it then. So I don't know what order we're going to do them in, but we're going to do both of those in January and February. So come back for those comics catch-ups. Come back for every story ever in January. Come back for the regular Ajax shows. we got the Gordies coming up. On our next regular War Rocket Ajax, our annual awards show. You should listen right. to that. You picked the categories, but we picked the winners. Yeah, send in your categories to warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Or categories. Until then, everybody. Thanks for listening. We love you. Forever, 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 ever, forever, ever. Yeah! From this day on, let every breed of mongrel live together.